Good evening. Let's start off with a prayer. Father, we come before you and we just pray you would bless us tonight, Lord. We pray, Lord, that whatever it is you want us to hear, whatever you want to accomplish in our lives would be accomplished, Lord. We look to you and cry out to you and pray for your grace. And Lord, there are so many people who are under the weather tonight. We pray for healing. Pray, Lord, for your protection on your people. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love, Lord, that overrides everything. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, whenever I come up here to speak, I can usually tell how long I'm going to be speaking by how many notes I have. And so this, just before I came, I was looking over my notes, and I can tell you right now, this isn't going to be a long one. Um, there's kind of a tradition within the evangelical churches not a rule, but kind of a tradition that a sermon or a Bible study should go at least 45 minutes. Otherwise, it's like you're not getting your money's worth. So at the end of this, if you don't feel you've gotten your money's worth, Richard will be handing out refunds at the door when you leave. He volunteered to do that right out of his own pocket, which I, th I thought was great. I want a refund right now. And then also, if you know, it's kind of a tradition that a Bible study should go about 45 minutes. There's also, you know, if a Bible study goes too long, like somebody stands up and preaches for like an hour and a half or two hours, there's a trap door that opens up behind the pulpit. And that is controlled by those in the children's ministry. So... Uh, tonight, Lord willing, I'd like to talk about the key to a successful marriage or to a successful life. And by successful, I mean one that glorifies the Lord, one that is joyful, one that is a light to the world, is a witness, either in our marriage or just as individuals to those around us. Not everyone is called to marriage. Some are, some aren't. In fact, Paul says, that in, in re, ultimately you may be better off if you're not married because you can serve the Lord without distraction. That if you're not married, there's a good chance that your life may even be more full and more fruitful. So tonight, talk about the key to a successful marriage and a successful single life that glorifies God. You know, wonder how abundant does God want our lives to be? You know, what does he have for us? How much, how joyful, how full does God want us, to, our lives to be? In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I think if we really knew what God intends for our lives, in spite of us, what God intends and what he wants to give us, and what he wants us to experience in our Christian walk, if we knew the extent of that, our heads would explode because of his goodness, his great goodness. You know, how about joy unspeakable and full of glory, as Paul, as Paul says? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, so how can we experience this life in our marriages and in our lives? John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And that word abundantly means beyond measure. You can't even measure it. The goodness that God desires for our lives can't even be measured. 
But, you know, how do we experience when Satan's main target is the family, wants to destroy the family, which is the, the foundation of any society? You know, and spiritual deception is taking over the world. And single people, with all these deceptions that are taking over and all the limitations and failings of the flesh, how can we experience this abundant life when the things of the world and the wages of sin, like some evil gravitational force, are holding us down? We have to, in our marriages and in our lives, rise above it. The question is how? And so tonight, Lord willing, I'd like to talk about the key to a fruitful life for married couples and for single people. I've had the honor of doing a few weddings, and it's always a blessing to see these new lives start out. And I love to hear stories about how people met, how God brought people together. You know, I love hearing those stories, those romantic beginnings. Joanne and I had a romantic beginning. Uh, we were both working in a restaurant. She was a waitress, and I was a cook, which shows you this was not five-star dining. I wouldn't even eat there. But when we had to rush a people in, and I'd be back there cooking, my area was totally destroyed because I'm a slob, and it was just destroyed. And Joanne would come back, and she would start cleaning. This annoyed me greatly. First of all, because she was cleaning, and secondly, because she was invading my space. So every time she bent over to clean something, I had this big spatula full of grease. Every time she bent over, I would whack her on the backside with that uh, spatula. So she's walking around with her white waitress uniform on with all these greasy spatula marks all over a particular portion of her anatomy. And that young girl chose to live with me for the rest of her life, of her own free will. Talk about the grace of God. Outside of my salvation, my wife that God has given me is the greatest example and outpouring of the grace of God in my life. Somebody wrote, man is not the cause of God's grace. The cause of grace is God, the giver. God owes no debt to man. Neither does he wait for man to do some specific action. God gives grace to whomever and however he pleases. Sometimes to the worst of sinners. And I know I can testify to that. Someone said the key to a, a good marriage is you have to find someone who's willing to put up with you. And there's some truth to that, but there's got to be more than that in a marriage, not just tolerating each other, not just putting up with each other. There's got to be something more. A pastor I read, he wrote about the grace that God had given in his life, and specifically concerning his marriage. And he said that he and his wife had gotten married young, and they went on their honeymoon, and they, have no, they had no money. And so they went camping at this campsite. And it poured rain every single day that they were there. So they're sitting in this wet tent, couldn't go out, and all you could hear was the rain pouring down. And he's sitting in this tent, and he looks over at his wife, and he couldn't believe that this beautiful girl actually promised to live with him for the rest of her life. He, he wrote that he knew he had married out of, his, uh, out of his league. And so he looked over at her, and he couldn't believe it. And she was reading a book. And all of a sudden, she put the book down and looked at him and just smiled at him. And he said that smile spoke volumes to him. It, it, it told him that there was no place she would rather have been 
and no one that she would rather be with at that moment. And he thought to himself, man, it doesn't get any better than this, but it did. He said, the miracle of grace is that 50 years later, we're sitting in the living room and I still get that smile after 50 years. And that is the key to abundant life in marriage or singleness. In marriage, the relationship between husband and wife, or a single person in their relationship with Jesus. Turn to Revelations chapter 2, please. The verses in, these, in, in this letter are, I, I believe, the, some of the most important verses in the whole Bible. All the following letters that go to the churches and individuals throughout the church age are attached to this letter. All the praise that God gives the church is because they heeded the words of this letter. And all the criticism that Jesus gave the churches was because they weren't heeding the words of this letter. Um, the church, and I would would suggest that you read the letters following this, keeping in mind this first letter about leaving your first love and seeing which churches kept in that place, stayed in that place of their first love with Christ and who didn't and what were the results. And Smyrna, he wrote, that they were going to go through a period of tribulation and poverty, yet Jesus says that they were rich because they had something more valuable than anything on earth. They were abiding in the love of God. They remained and grew in that place of that first love and never left it. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. If we don't, aren't abiding in that first love, if we're not there uh, and we don't have that joy of our salvation, nothing's going to happen in our lives. That's our strength, is the joy of the Lord. They were living in a bubble of God's love. And I've, I've had people talk to me negatively about that. They say, you know, you Christians, you're living in a bubble. You know, I'm living out in the real world. The real world is going on, and you guys are just in this bubble. And, but I want to live in that bubble. I want to be surrounded by the love of God, and I want to stay there. That's my life. The church at Pergamos, they were living in a culture where the ruler of this world had his throne, surrounded by deception and ungodliness. Yet they were not moved by what they saw, but remained faithful to the invisible God. And how did they do that? How did they manage to remain faithful, despite of everything that goes going on around them? They stayed in their first love between them and Jesus, the joy of their salvation. Yet they were warned in this letter that false doctrine was creeping in to rob the church. When people drift away from their first love, that joy and that comfort, then deception, deceptive doctrines entice them with a counterfeit joy and a counterfeit comfort. And in the church of Thyatira, they were growing in the Lord, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, and it showed in expanding their opportunities and heart for service, serving the Lord. But he warned them that carnality was creeping in to the church. If people drift away from that first love and that joy and peace starts to fade, and if the, the joy and peace from, 
from remaining in that first love isn't present in our lives, then we have to do something to make us feel good. If we're not getting our joy from our relationship with the Lord and what he has done for us, we can't, we can't live. If, you know, we have to we end up doing something to make us feel good, and carnality can creep in, and carnality will increase. The church at Sardis, he wrote to them, and he said to them, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. The light had gone out. They had left their first love. Revelations 2.5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, we pray, Lord, make us that light on a hill. If we're not abiding and staying in that first love and have that going on, the light goes out in the church, in a marriage, or in our individual lives. The Church of Philadelphia, he wrote to them, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. You know, we all wanna hear from the Lord when we stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. What's the secret of hearing that so that we know that when we get there, we'll hear those words that we all want to hear, to hear Jesus say at the beginning of all eternity, well done, good and faithful servant. Staying in that first love, our works, our obedience, stem from remaining in that bubble of the first love. And those who experience and stay in that first love get what they desire. He says to this church, you're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God, and you won't have to go out anymore. You'll be with God forever. So, um, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And to the church of the Laodiceans, they had left their first love, and they became lukewarm. Became so lost, they didn't even know they were lost. They left their first love and were deceived into thinking that they were okay. They were getting their comfort and their joy from other places. He said, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So let's just read through these verses. Revelation 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord of, to the church of Ephesus write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. <coughs> Excuse me. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have pers persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So in verse 1, he says, 
to the church at Ephesus, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, walks in the midst of the church. I think the first thing we have to nurture in our lives is to rest in that fellowship and security that we have with our shepherd, the security that we have, be confident in that assurance that it's based on what Jesus did, it's based on something outside of ourselves, that we have security and we have fellowship. Jesus said my, in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That security that we have, that joy knowing that no one can take us away. You can't lose your salvation. You can't earn it. You know, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven because of our response to him, and we are never thrown out of the kingdom because of our lack of response to him. We're secure. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You're doing all the things you're supposed to do. This church was active, doing works. And, you know, and marriages are like that. You're doing all the things that you're supposed to do in your marriage. You're working, you're paying the bills, you're managing the home, you're raising your kids, you're bringing your family to church. You're a solid citizen, salt of the earth. And Jesus would say, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. That pastor that wrote that, we read earlier, hadn't lost that first love, him and his wife. That first love remained for 50 years between them. And the reason was because they nurtured and kept that first love between them and Jesus, two individuals, keeping that first love, staying in that place. Losing that first love. There's a movie that I always liked. It's kind of a classic, Citizen Kane. And there's a scene in that movie. Uh, it lasts about a minute, but it goes through an entire married life. And it starts off where there's him, uh, Kane and his wife are sitting at the breakfast table. And you can tell they're in love. They're just married. They're kind of just looking at each other, acting real goofy, holding hands over the table. You know, that first love, you can see it. And then it goes through years of marriage, and you can see them starting to grow apart, grow further and farther apart. Things are becoming colder and colder and colder. And then the last scene, they're sitting across from each other at the table, and they have the newspaper in front of their faces, and they're not even looking at each other. You know, they, they lost that first love. You know, one thing I've noticed about newly married couples is they're giddy. It's a word you don't hear too much anymore, giddy. Giddy. I haven't been giddy for a while. Anyways, giddy means having a sensation of whirling and a tendency to fall or stagger, dizzy. As a verb, it says to make someone feel excited to the point of disorientation. Giddy. You want to keep that giddiness in your marriage. You want to keep that giddiness, that joy in your relationship with the Lord. And if that's there, then that'll be in the marriage. So how does a couple retain that first love of each other in their marriage. It's simple. As two individuals, you stay in that place of first love with Jesus, rejoicing in the Lord. And that first love for your husband or for your wife will remain. 
And like that pastor said, it doesn't get any better than this, but it will. And some people might say, whether they're married or single, it's too late. My spiritual life is just too dry to be revived. Or God is too disgusted with me. I've, dr I've, I've drifted too far or I've done something. There's no way that that first love can come back in our marriage or in my life. We've drifted too far away. Jeremiah 3.1 says, they say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not that, would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return to me, says the Lord. There are a lot of things that a person can do on earth that would cause a person to be rejected by society. But the Lord is saying here, you have committed worse. And by all accounts, you should be rejected. Yet return to me, says the Lord. The Lord, you know, that's something that we drive home in Sunday school. That there are two words that the Lord will never say to you, go away. And there are two words that he will always say, always, no matter what, come closer. Yet return to me, says the Lord. No matter what anyone has done, no matter how far away someone has wandered, no matter how spiritually dry someone has become, the Lord will always say to you, come home. And when you do, you'll find out that you'll be welcomed. So the key to abundant life in marriage or singleness is to remain in that first love in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, you know, in your marriage. Remember when you were giddy in your marriage and in your relationship with the Lord? Remember when there was no place you would rather be and no one you would rather be with? If you have fallen from the height of that first love, then remember the joy of, remember the joy that you had of your salvation. When you found that every sin you have ever committed and every sin that you're going to commit has not only been forgiven, but you have been justified by Christ, that there is no guilt for ever having sinned. Repent and do the first works else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So there is a warning there. If you leave that first love, the light will start to fade. The light will start to go out. Repent and do the first works. You know, what are the first works? Repent. You, you know, you were following Jesus, but somehow you got turned around and you're going the wrong way. Turn around and catch up with him. And when he sees you coming, he'll wait for you. And those first works, what are we to do? Get back to following him, spending time with him. Get close so you can hear his word, so you can talk to him. Take that time, make that time to be with Jesus. And he said, if you don't repent and do those first works, the light will go out in your church, in your marriage, in your life. And I think the first works, you know, Trying to think, you know, what are the first works? What what did we do when we first got saved? You know, we loved to come to Bible study. We couldn't get enough of the Word. We loved just being alone with the Lord, opening our Bibles and have Him ministering to us. And that's what we have to come back to. I think the first works can be summed up by Paul, where he says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say, rejoice. Those are the first works. Rejoice in the Lord. And he talks about the Nicolaitans. In verse 7, he says, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, what, what is it that overcomes? It's our faith in Christ that he is able and he is willing to restore the joy of that first love. He, is will more than, more, he wants it more than we do, to restore the joy of, that salva- of our salvation. And those who overcome, they get to eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, what does God desire for our lives? More than we can even dare imagine. You know, we're heading up for a new year, and we know, I know anyways, that resolutions don't work. If I make a resolution, it's bound to fail quickly. Uh, Someone wrote, to hope to be better is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. So rather than making a New Year's resolution, let's make a New Year's prayer. Lord, bring us back. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, that marriages and all your people would shine for your glory, and we get to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That's where God wants us to be, in paradise. Here on earth, the paradise of just being in that bubble of his love. So let's, I told you this was going to be short. Like I said, Rich will be handing out refunds at the door. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and we pray that you would bring us back. Lord, I know that I tend to drift. And Lord, bring us back to that first love, we pray, to that joy. Rejoicing in you always, Lord, we pray. Overwhelm us, Lord, we pray, that we would be lights, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth and just uh, enjoy the life that you've given us, Lord, that abundant life that can't be even measured. We pray for that, Lord. We pray, look to you to give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.